This is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point, where today we are joined by Greg Dooley, the frontman of the Afghan Wigs, who's just released a solo album, Random Desire, one you should not miss. Dooley is one of the best live frontmen in rock in the last 30 years, no question. And today on My Turning Point, we take it back to the beginning and see where that all started. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with one of my favorite artists in the world. Cool. So what is your turning point moment? <clears throat> My turning point moment was seeing the fifth dimension at the Ohio State Fair. That's awesome. How old are you? Do you remember? Six or seven. Five, or, five, five to seven years old. I think about this, and I have dreams about it often. Um, I'd never seen like a, a professional singing group or band before and I was probably in first grade uh, I knew their songs so I was a fan already but watching watching them perform and in particular Billy Davis Jr. who sang the lead on Let the Sunshine In uh, in, a, in a very kind of uh, um preacher mode um, I was I was electrified I felt like I felt something surging through my body and I was like man I, I want to do that I, I, I got to figure out how to do that so I spent the next whatever 12 years trying to figure out how to do that and then once I figured out how to do it I, I, I latched onto it pretty hard it's, I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. It's funny. Do you, can you look back on it? Because look, I talk about those people all the time, right? When you're in the midst of something, you don't really get it, especially when you're that young. You probably are like, oh, this seems cool, but you don't really understand what it is about it that speaks to you so much. So did you eventually go back and figure out what it is that was like just electrified you in that way? Um I think seeing something in person that I had experienced in my home, like I had listened to, uh, I had listened to their records, and then and then watching it be real in front of me, and not only real but magnificent, you know, and watching the people react to it uh, was. Uh, I just never forgot that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and the in the sub, the subsequent concerts that I went to, like, how old were you when you first went to a concert? First rock concert I saw was Kiss when I was ten years old. Ten years old. Yeah. How about you? Uh, first rock concert. First concert of any kind. It was Fog Hat. Fog Hat. Wow. My dad opened that. Wow. <laughs> See, I never. Where? <laughs> I think it was in like San. Oh, cool. I loved Foghat. Never saw them. Yeah. 
Which I never I, saw them either. And I didn't realize that your dad opened for Foghat. That's, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, Foghat Live was a, a big eight track when I was, uh, when I was, when I was driving. All 17 to, minutes of I Just Want to Make Love to You. Sure. I mean, dude, that, how, how, many, how many songs are on that album? Not many. No, because they're it's all like, 17 minutes yeah, long, man. Slow rides, <laughs> like 10 minutes long, yeah. right? Yeah. Full for the City is probably like the shortest song. <laughs> is that, that's on there, I think, right? Do they open with that? We'll have to, we'll have to check that. Um, yeah, concerts for me, like it, they were always the most exciting thing that, that was that was going to happen in my in my life. So um, subsequently, as I kept going to them, but I I, I, I can I can absolutely point to uh, to the fifth dimension as being the the uh, the entry for me. And it's funny, is there's something about that first show though too. So did subsequent shows have that same reaction for you? Absolutely, because my ne- the, sh- the first show that I paid for to go to was Ted Nugent, and uh, um, and the opening acts were Blackfoot and Crocus, and uh, Wait, I fucking love Crocus. All all really exciting. So I I love that song. Long stick goes boom. There they were performing it. Blackfoot, I saw like that was the first time I saw Blackfoot. And I saw Blackfoot probably like five times. Outstanding live band, like just outstanding, you know. Uh, but then, uh, but but then Ted Nugent. Um, it was the Wango Tango tour, and he entered this. He entered the stage on a vine, swinging like Tarzan <laughs> with a loincloth, and uh, um, I think I fainted. I was so excited by by the. The, the spectacle of the of the rock. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, man. Ted Nugent is a dude that bums me out now because Ted bums me out too. But here, he, there there were some great songs. Look, I did I I don't know any of that stuff when uh, when when that's happening. You know, I uh, there's no yeah. Ted Nugent has not shared his ideology with me or he has he, with me actually. I have spoken and, with him. No, at the yeah. time though, when yeah. I'm when I'm in ninth grade. Ted, Ted Nugent has not, you know, spread his disease. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, and I'd also like to point out that he does not sing Stranglehold, which is, is his, his absolute best song. He doesn't so do that one anymore? He, he's not the singer on the okay. recording. Oh, okay, interesting. It's uh, um, Derek St. Holmes. Interesting. The dude could play guitar, though. I mean, you cannot, you cannot argue great that. Guitar, great guitar player, great performer. Uh, you just know, an asshole. <laughs> just, just an asshole that I can no longer support. So. But you get to see Crocus to it too. By the way, guys, I just looked it up because I was curious. Fog Hat, six songs, thirty-eight minutes long. So an go. average, an average of, and yes, Fool for the City. And there's another song like Home for the Hand or something. Those are both under five minutes. Home in My Hand. Yes. Great song. Yeah. You know, it's such a funny thing though too because I, I love that one of the reasons I've loved doing this and then I do a column for Forbes called Who I Am as well where it, you know artists pick sort of in chronological order that they're, they're defining things what's fascinating is to see how much the stuff that influences you as a kid stays with you your whole life and it's funny because you've been that guy I mean I've seen you every fucking tour since 94 mm-hmm. you know who, who've always just been comfortable or felt comfortable or seemed comfortable on stage now for all i know maybe you have stage fright behind the scenes but there's always been that manner of just feeling like you own a stage i'm uh i'm comfortable i'm i'm very comfortable on a stage i'm 
I'm I'm not like that when I'm not on stage. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm a very I'm a very different person uh, when, when when I'm not. But uh, maybe not very, but certainly I uh, I allow myself to explore other realms when I'm on stage, you know, and become a more exaggerated version of myself too. You know, it's it's fun, you know, in in, in the right context, it, it's it's magical. It's so funny. Was there a moment early on where you realized that being on stage had that effect on you? Because obviously, most great performers are that way. You know, it's like they, they're given the microphone, they're given the audience. Like Patti Smith once described it as like when she's on stage, she's like, it's almost something like not quite being human. It's kind of animalistic. And I think for a lot of people, for great performers, it, you know, or Joni Mitchell once said too, she's like, the hardest relationship for me is one-to-one. -one. She's like, the easiest is in front of 10,000 people. Wow, yeah. I can, I, I, I can see that. that. That's similar to the, um, you know, if you're playing to... <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, a small crowd, a couple hundred people. It's a lot different than if you're playing to like a festival crowd because when you're playing to a festival crowd, it almost just seems it's it's kind of not real. You know, it's like an oh, you're singing to the ocean, and the ocean <laughs> is made of people. Um, but when they're when they're right on you and at your level, it can be uh, you know, it can be daunting. But uh, um, but ultimately, the main reason I like to perform is 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 it gives me a chance to uh, act out these songs that I've you know that either came to me in my walking down the street, hanging out in my house, driving in my car. Um, um, you know, I spend a lot of time with these songs, making them what they are. And uh, when you get to come out and inhabit them, and with with people who are there to there to watch you do it, you know, and experience and feel it with you, um, that's a real. That's like it's like community, you know what I mean, and uh, and that's that that's a, a a sense of sharing and 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 belonging. That's you know doesn't happen every day. It's not. It's it's you know it's it's naturally unnatural. So <laughs> well, it's funny. I was thinking about that today because I, I mean I'm a huge Springsteen fan, for example, and I was listening to Springsteen on the way over here. And right, and it's like there's that sense of community that you get at a show, and it's interesting because it does feel like now in 2020, as we're so fractured at this point, you know, as a country, as everything is just everyone's just so fucked, you know, that sense of community does seem more and more important. So for you, as you think about taking these songs to the stage, how much do you then look forward to that sense of like, I mean, it's a, it's a really fascinating thing, and not to get too deep, but I mean, obviously, is you know, you deal with social media and technology and all this stuff. You know, there's lots of studies. People talk about the fact that the more interaction we can have, the more it seems to become opposite of that, and the more separated people become. So having these songs and having the live experience, sometimes it feels like maybe the only way that you can actually get to interact with people on that level. 
Well, certainly interacting with people who are not like a part of your uh, immediate circle. You know, you're 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 going. You know, you're going to another town. You're, uh, um, you know, and you're you're going to have a you're going to have an int- an interaction that is that is that is based on either people really wanting to see you or people who are, have heard about you and are curious to see what you do or are just accidentally there for whatever reason but when when the lights go down and it starts to go off there's no feeling like it that I've ever had. I can't, it's, it's, it's really hard to put into words. But uh, when everything goes, when everything goes right, it's, it's maybe the most perfect thing that has ever happened to me, so. It's funny, I remember seeing you guys with the wigs all the way back at uh, Black Love at the palace. And we talked about that show, which is now Avalon. And you were talking about that, the light guy who was not someone who worked with you, that night just nailed it. So I mean, aside from that show, like what are some examples of those moments where you could think of where everything just comes together? Like, you know, cause as an artist too, artists are always super self-critical. Mm. So it's rare when you can find that moment where you feel like everything just comes together and it has that sort of perfect, almost sense of nirvana like you're talking about. At the, uh, um, <clears throat> At the end of each tour, I I will write down. I'll write down just without without stressing over it. I'll I'll write down some cities, and what I'm writing down are those are those moments. Um, you know, uh, a great show. I mean. You can have a lot of them, you know, um, but those uh, transcendent shows where you leave your body, it's, it's, if that happened every day, you know, you'd be the luckiest person in the world. But uh, uh, when, 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 it, when it does happen, I, I, I remember them. And uh, if, I, if I scrolled through my, scrolled through my phone I could find I could find the list from two years ago it's been a couple of years since I've since I've done shows so uh, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to interesting to see what's up now it's funny though because you say if that happened every day you'd be the luckiest man in the world yeah. but if that happened every day then it wouldn't feel special anymore that's, that's what I mean yeah. you know yeah Exactly. So it's interesting when you think of taking these songs on the road and, you know, it's, it's a cool thing because I think one of the things that I really enjoy now is as, as a fan, you know, as soon as you see a song live, you kind of can make it your own. It used to be back in the end, it's funny because, you know, just talking about that sort of, you know, outside of interacting with your circle, I think about how much music, and I've talked about this with other, you know, so many guys who've made music for 20 something years, whether it's Grohl, whether it's Slash, and it's like, when you started making music in the late 80s to today, it's a whole fucking different world. So it, it's all approached in a different way because like, for example, as soon as you play these songs live, the first show, it's gonna be up on YouTube. Right. And so all those songs are gonna be, and so then fans can decide, okay, this is my favorite. Right. So it kind of makes it in a way more egalitarian where once they're then, you know, so the next show you do, 
people are going to be singing along to one song or another, you're not really going to know. And as I talk about with people all the time, right, you can say, oh, cool, this is my favorite song on the record. And then fans are like, eh, whatever. And you can throw a song like Marry Me on there, which I fucking love. And you can say like, oh, that's a, you know, that's cool, but I'm not sure how people are going to respond to it. And that could be people's favorite on the record. Sure. So are there songs from this record that you are <laughs> popular dude this morning? Jesus. That you are particularly excited to see how the fans respond to them and sort of make them their own. Um, I, my favorite songs of mine are never other people's. That's what I noticed. I, re I, re I remember back when um, when uh, uh, iTunes used to like rate your songs, you know, like popularity-wise. I don't think they do that anymore. But iTunes I, doesn't even exist anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. It's Apple now, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So whatever. But whenever it first came along, um, I I would look at the list and I'm like. I can't look at this list anymore. <laughs> like the the one bummer, you know what I mean? Like the the songs that I love the most, which is why I never get involved with picking singles, because you know I'm, I would I would be wrong. I remember uh, when we when we turned in um, "Due to the Beast" uh, six years ago, and they came back and they were like, "Algiers is the single," and I was like, "Algiers, really." <laughs> Weird, and it might be my most popular song that I've ever put out. I believe right I mean? now it's number one on Spotify. There you go. So you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's that's that's how much I know, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, um, that song almost didn't make the record. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so I, I now, now when when people are picking things, I'm like, yeah, cool. Whatever you think is whatever you think will work. So, so what would you have picked as a single for Random Desire? I think I think they did. I think Pantomima was the right first one to. It's just so relentless. So uh, um, so I think they I think they did a good job. But I I mean honestly, there's there's to me there's to me, there's seven singles and three three glue songs that, you know, and Marry Me would be one of the glue songs. Uh, um, but the the other seven, I, 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 you know, I would, I'd put them out there and see what happens. So. But see, in a way, I think that's what I was kind of asking. That kind of makes it fun because the fact that you don't know, you know, what people are going to respond to, I think that's where it gets interesting is to see like, okay, because people gravitate to something and you're like, oh, I never would have fucking guessed Marry Me. Right. But that's well, but, so but but at the same time, if I'm putting it on if I'm putting it on the record, then I I I I'm telling you by putting it on the record that I think it's good. And therefore, if it ends up being your favorite, I can't be too surprised because I did choose it as one of the 10 songs yeah. and I had about 20 songs to pick from. So, uh, um, that's 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 how I feel about that. I think, uh, honestly, like uh, I think "Marry Me" is a beautiful song, and I'll be I'll be performing it every night. So it's funny too. I mean, when did you start writing this record? Well, I wasn't writing a record. I just write songs all the time. And uh, um, but last last January, I got a hot hand. 
I started cranking. And uh, um, by probably by May, I had I had most of it. And then I brought in Scorpio and a ghost, which were from the year before. Um, and then I had, I think I had the record, what I thought was the record by June. And then there was one song that I loved, but it didn't fit the rest of the songs. So I pulled that out and I wrote a song specifically for that slot. And that song was The Tide. And uh, um, and then I then I was then I thought I was done again. And then I uh, at the last minute I added drums to Panamima and to a ghost. Neither song had had drums until September. So so January to September was the kind of that was the sweet spot. And at what point did you realize that this was going to be a solo album versus doing what? I knew, I knew that by uh, um, November of 2018, I knew I was going to be doing a solo record because I knew Patrick was going to play with raconteurs. Uh, John Curley went back to college. Nice. John Skibick and his wife were having a baby. Uh, Rick Nelson was overhauling his studio. Everybody had uh, everybody had a, th a project, and so I was like, I I need to I, I need to I need to do something. That if I'm ever going to do this, I should do it right now. So so it came out of necessity. It wasn't something of like, oh, okay, this is just the time. No, it, it really out of necessity, and uh, um, and in in. In a lot of ways, you know, just, you know, the random desire of the title, you know what I mean? So uh, uh, I, I feel like I, as, a, as a creative beast, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of cycling every, seems now like every three years is sort of like a, is, is, is when I, um, amass the material that I deem worthy of releasing. <clears throat> um, and it was about that time. So, um, but I was kind of meandering around with, you know, I, I have a bunch of other stuff, but it was when, I, f I forget, I want to say that the two ballads happened like back to back and then all of a sudden I started sort of seeing I had the riff to Panamima um, I was working on some version of Sempre like everything got started happening really quickly and uh, um, once I get like four songs that I feel like fit together that's when I start to envision it as a as a record and then I start to pursue it and then I got I got I got, you know, hot on its trail. So from January through September. So what's interesting about that to me as well is that, you know, it's written over a period of about eight, nine months. 
During that time, you go through several different things, you being anyone. And I talk about this with artists all the time. What's really fascinating is that because writing is such a subconscious thing, a lot of times you don't really get a through line of a record or figure out things that are in there until you can go back and listen to it as a whole. So when you listen to Random Desire as a whole, were there things that emerged that either surprised you or like, you know, because we've talked about the fact sometimes you tend to do lyrics very subconsciously. I think you were telling me, or stream of consciously, I should say. You know, so when you go back and hear it, were there things that surprised you that you were thinking or lyrical passages that kind of stand out to you or musically as well? Um, one thing that that um, that stood out for me was <clears throat> the song A Ghost was the oldest thing I I. I while we were making in spades, um, everybody was gone. Rick was around, and I came up with this riff, and I was like, "Hey, record me real quick, like doing this riff." And I and I and I did it, and I did a little scratch vocal on top of it, and I just set it off to the side. Then I went down to Memphis, and I was kind of hot for it, and I I tried to do a version of it there. It was the same time I did uh, the song Birdland that was on In Spades. I tried to do a version of uh, uh, a ghost then, and it it just didn't it didn't work. So I'm like, okay. Uh, I never stopped thinking about that riff, and in at some point last in those months, I remembered that song, and I went down to New Orleans, and I just did a really quick version with Rick. It was just Rick and I. And uh, um, and that was the version, you know what I mean. So um, that song in particular, like, <clears throat> it had a tenacity. It had a. It kept raising its hand, you know what I mean. And uh, um, that's that's one thing that I that I uh, remember about that batch of songs was was the song that really wanted to be. It really wanted to be, and it, it, you know, it forced itself into the game, and uh, and one of my favorite songs on the record too. So, so for this tour, are you going to be doing just the record? Or are you going to be doing? Because we've talked about this in the past. Like for example, when you first started touring Twilight Singers, you really wanted to stay away from Afghan wig stuff, just because Twilight Singers was its own thing. Yeah. So for this record, will you be doing from your whole career, or is it going to be focused more on Random Desire? I'm going to do um well. I mean, I'm I'm gonna do. I when, whenever I do a, a, a record, I'm I'm going to play most of that record. But even if I played the whole record, I still need another half of a show. You know what I mean? That would be if I played all ten songs. Based on the amount of songs that I normally play, I play between eighteen and twenty-two songs a night. I need at least eight more, and probably twelve more. So uh, um, that'll be fun to decide what those songs are, you know? Um. Well, it's interesting too, because the thing is, I talk about this with artists all the time as well, right? When you, like, as you're building a set list, it's building a sequence like a record. Sure. And there are stuff that like, you know, you'll start to think like, oh, okay, shit, this song works really well with this. And it can, uh, new music can sort of invigorate old songs. Absolutely. So is there stuff for you that you're particularly excited to see how it would go alongside these songs, or have you not decided yet? 
Um, when we went down to, uh, uh, I went I went down to New Orleans to to try out the drummer, and uh, um, one of the songs that I gave him to learn was Esta Noche from Blackberry Bell. And <clears throat> as we were playing it, I realized I was like, oh wow, I haven't played this song in nine years. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, we played it in San Francisco at the Blackberry Bell show and then reformed the wigs and, you know. Uh, so getting back in touch with a lot of that stuff, you know, the Twilight Singer stuff is very dear to me and it will be very well represented in the in the show. Uh, I can I can assure you that. Um, you know, with the wigs being an ongoing thing, probably not so much wig stuff. Um, maybe one or two. Uh, um, because we're we're also in the process of of making a new record as well. So. Um, I want to keep those things keep those things separate, and and I and and the reason why I've I've done these uh, solo tours um, is to stay is to stay connected with the Twilight material, which um, you know means a lot to me, and, and and I'm really looking forward to to reviving and 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 bringing back to life. So. Plus, you're always going to bust out some covers, so there'll be there'll be. There'll be some old covers and some new covers. I've, 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 I've recorded, I've recorded three new covers, um, which will start to. Uh, the first one will appear in April. Can't give us any previews though. No. All right. They're good though. They're good and they're weird. You know. Two are sung by women originally, and one is sung by an absolute, positive legend. Interesting. Who I've never covered before. Okay. Is there, it's funny. I, I was lucky enough years ago to talk to Brian Ferry, who, you know, he's fucking Brian Ferry. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about the fact that he was doing an album of Dylan covers, right? And mm -hmm. he was talking about the fact, you may love a song, but it doesn't mean that you can cover it. Your right. styles may just not mesh. Right. Because there was telling me there was one or two songs that he wanted to do. So is there one artist that you've tried to cover that it's just, it's like, it's not that you... It's not that anyone's a sacred cow to you that you're just like, I would never do that. But you're like, just the styles just don't work. Um, I'll tell you something. Um, <clears throat> not really, because I feel like I could, I wouldn't cover someone just to cover them or, you know, the only time I ever covered somebody on a dare was when we did the Barry White song for uh, Beautiful Girls, Ted, Ted, uh, Temi, Chala, he was like, I want to see you cover Barry White. And I was like, huh. Never thought about that. And then did it, you know, and, and enjoyed it. And, and Barry White liked it too, which was really, you know, extra special on top of that. But uh, um, there was a song <clears throat> that I wanted to cover since the 90s. And I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and I could not, I could not get it to sound like I wanted to. And then finally, like 
one day on my porch in 2001 or two, sitting on my porch with an acoustic guitar and I figured out how to successfully cover Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair. Nice. I had been trying to do it for 10 years and I could not do it and and I and I absolutely figured it out and I you know I I, I will probably do it on this tour you know it's one it's one, it's one of my favorite covers I've ever done so yeah it's a great one I also have always loved the cover of Paper Thin Hotel um yeah that's a good one too I did it on the last uh, solo tour so I may I may revive that one again too I have some I I, I got I got some I've been practicing at home so I'm, I'm, you know, we don't start rehearsing till the beginning of March, but I'm already like I've got I got the piano out, the guitar out. I've been I've been messing around. Well, it's funny as you say as you inhabit these songs, you know, because you're one of those artists that when you play songs live, though, they change all the time. There is no, it doesn't go in and like. I remember interviewing Don Henley once, right? And I love Don Henley, but he was like, dude, we got so much shit for the fact that the records sound just like, you know, the shows sound just like the record. He's like, that's not easy to do. People hated us for it. Right. It's interesting. I mean, for you, because it's going to change on a night to night basis as you've started, you know, just playing around with them. Are yeah. there songs as you've started playing around with them that have already started to change off Random Desire? Well, I mean, Random Desire is a, is a, is a studio creation. So, um, a friend of mine came over uh, like right around Christmas and she was like, uh, have you played any of these songs? Have you played any of these songs yet? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like live? She's like, yeah, could you, could you perform one of these songs right now? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then I, performed three of them right right in front of her like just without and and they didn't sound exactly like you know the record obviously because I you know um, but uh, but it let me know that I that, they, that I was able to do it I'm like oh there it is look I just I just did it because I can't I, I tend to once I do a song I just like I, I do it and then I like it and then I move on so for me to like, I had to learn it again, you know, and I had to, uh, um, you know, a lot of times when, when we do, when we rehearse for tours, like through the years, I've had to have one of the people in the band show me how my own songs go, because I totally forget. I just get so far down the line that um, I, I have to re-remember them. But, these are these these are going to be cool, and I, I I think my my whole my whole uh, uh, um, uh, uh, philosophy of, of of performing of performing songs is like just cover it, you know, just cover yourself, do a cover of do, here here's who you have, and here's what they play, and here's how they play. Let's see what this collection of people does to that song and you do the best you can and uh, um, and man if you could nail like vocal harmonies like the Eagles do every night that'd be 
that that'd be amazing. I have a lot of singing on this record, and uh, but luckily all of the guys in the group sing. It's probably this is probably like my best singing band that I that I've that I've put together in in a while. Because uh, um, and having Joe Arthur uh, in to be one of the singers is going to be extra special. So I love that dude, but I can't watch him anymore. Why? It's uh, actually he's such a fucking cool dude. It's it's so the the very long sad story short is the last song I listened to when I was putting my dog down uh-huh. was in the sun because we were sitting in the backyard waiting. And every time I hear that song now, it just makes me cry. But I I talked about it online, and he actually responded. Just that's what a, a good dude he is. He's a good dude. He is a great dude, yeah. and a fucking and that song is just that's that's a rare perfect song. Yeah, absolutely. There's not many perfect songs. That's the, that's that's uh, that's the first song I heard by him. And uh, dude, when um, Chris Martin and Michael Stipe cover your shit, you know it's good. Yeah. The uh, um, Mike Napolitano, who I worked on all the early Twilight records with. Um, he moved to New York and I went, I was, I was coming to visit him and, and I'm like, he moved to New York for just a minute and, and he's like, I'm gonna be in the studio, I'm working on, I'm working on this record and I'm like, who, who is it? And he goes, yeah, you're not gonna know who it is. And I'm like, well, try me. And he's like, this guy named Joseph Arthur. And I'm like, dude, I totally know who that is. I, you know, so he was doing Redemption, son. And uh, um, so I went over, and that's when I met Joe, when he was making Redemption, son, with Mike. And uh, um, um, I was a big, big fan of Come to Where I'm From, so, which is now the name of his podcast. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, um, he's, I, I think... He's doing a, he, he's living in Fotografiska in, in New York right now, doing a, like, an actual live-in residency there and painting and interviewing people as while he's staying there. So, yeah, Joe's a force of nature. And, uh, he's a talented you know, dude. Really, no one like him, you know, no, just a- absolutely unique in every way. So, so we're going to wrap this up with, with two quick questions. So one... It's interesting because we're talking about this, right? And it's just talking about live performances and we started talking about Fifth Dimension. Is there one show that, that like, or is there one performer that you can just watch again and again and again that is just like every time you see him blows you away? Springsteen's like that for me. Patti Smith is another one. I've seen you on every fucking tour since 94. And every, you know, we flew back to New York for the Afghan Wigs reunion show. Oh, wow. Which was an incredible, that was a perfect show. Bowery Ballroom. Um, well, Prince was that was that person for me, uh, but uh, um, maybe Bjork would be someone that I am just fascinated with watching. And I, I, I remember I, rem, I I always think of this time at, at it was some festival in Belgium twenty odd years ago, probably right I think it was when Post came out and she sang Hyper Ballad in, in the middle of a windstorm and was just like leaning into the wind and just effortlessly singing this incredibly powerful song that, um, you know, I, I, 
I'll never forget that moment. So she she would she would be she would be some she would be one of those people, I think. And it's interesting as we were talking about building the set list for this tour. I was just thinking about this. I had never thought about this before. But it's an interesting thing that you find yourself in and kind of a cool place. And like I think of Eric Clapton, right, talking about the fact that, you know, I have to play Layla every night until mm -hmm. I die. Right. Like he's like, I have no choice on this batter. That's why he actually redid the acoustic version was just to keep it fresh for him. Sure. Do you feel like there's that one song for you that you have to go out and play every night? Or or it's kind of like you have that freedom of there are several songs you're known for, but there isn't that one that if you don't do it, the audience is gonna be like, I can't fucking believe you didn't do Faded. No, because we stopped doing Faded. Uh, uh, and, and we started doing uh, um, this song, Into the Floor, which was also, people loved a lot. You couldn't really play both of them. Like, you know, like playing a bunch of epic songs in a row, mm, it, it, I don't want to do that. You know, you, you know, epic is epic and you have to have an apex. You have to have a moment and you can't have like, Hey, here's another one of those. You know what I mean? You just, it's, you pick one or the other. And Faded had a nice long ride, and it's not like it will never get played again. So, um, but yeah, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. Like, I, um, you know what I mean? They're that like signature song. Of course, yeah. yeah, but I, I don't, I don't know. There's no song that I feel like I absolutely have to play. You know, furthermore, for instance, like the Rolling Stones, like, they've got so many great songs, and I'm like, you know what, man? You don't have to play Jumpin' Jack Flash tonight. You play, like, Silver Train instead, or play, like, there's... There are some like there are some like kind of you know like superstar acts where I'm like, you are the Rolling Stones. You play what you want. You know what I mean? But you say that as a music guy because I, yeah, but, the people who pay hundreds or thousands of dollars a ticket, they want to hear satisfaction. Right. I'm with you because right. honestly, I can't fucking stand satisfaction. Although I saw that Rose Bowl show was phenomenal. Right. That last tour was amazing. Was it, they great? Were, it was incredible. Good. You know. But to me, like I'm just like I don't need to hear satisfaction again. Yeah, I mean, but but here's the deal: like if if you play if you don't play satisfaction and you do play Jumpin' Jack Flash, or vice versa, you get one or the other. But you also get this cool like I don't know, waiting on a friend or heartbreaker or you know like yeah. there's. She's so cold, whatever. Prince was a great example because I saw him do shows where he would do literally nothing but jazz. Yeah, yeah, I've, I, I, I saw those too. And you know, but Prince also had so many great songs that if he didn't play blank, he did play blank. You know what I mean? So like that, that kind of, um, I don't feel chained to any particular song. And, uh, and you know, I mean, but I'll tell you what, if I if I had if I if I wrote Layla, I'd I'd figure out how to play it every night myself. So get on it. Cool. What do you want to add? We did not talk about. All good. I'm good. Cool. Dude, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been here on my turning point with special guest, Afghan Wigs frontman Greg Dooley, talking about his new solo album, Random Desire, his upcoming tour, which you cannot miss. 
and much more. Told you this was a fun conversation. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks. state isn't only home to new england's tallest peaks you'll also find epic coastal views and charming towns perfect to explore on a summer trip whether you're seeking the adrenaline rush that comes from kayaking rapids or the peaceful chill that comes from enjoying a cocktail on the porch of a classic b&b there's something for everyone in new hampshire for more summer inspiration go to visit nh.gov that's visit nh.gov discover your new It takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car, like cooking, but without the frozen dinner, easy way out. eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as Oma's Rouladen, to cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.